Okay, first passage is from Genesis 1, um, 20 to 31. And God said, Let the water teem with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its, its kind. And, so, and it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and other living, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And the second reading is from Matthew six, twenty-five to 34. Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labour or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendour was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Well, good to see you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a world that seems like it has so much that could trouble us. Please help us to learn to trust you. Give us clear minds, help us to understand your word tonight. Keep us awake, those who are tired from fat. We pray that you would guard us from the errors that might, we might fall into and help us to know the truth about your world. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, is there any hope for the planet? That's what we're looking at tonight and, and next week. And there are big problems, aren't there? Pollution, deforestation, contamination, loss of biodiversity, radioactive waste, climate change. How does the Bible say that we should treat the planet 
what does it say about the natural world, the environment? Is there any hope for it? The Bible says, yes. Not just for people, but for the planet too. It's, it's actually far better than you ever imagined, and it might not be what you think. Now, we need hope, don't we? If, if you're a young person growing up today... What kind of future do you think you have to look forward to? I wonder how you feel. Optimistic, maybe. We'll, we'll find a way. Or maybe you're sceptical. Ah, it's probably not as bad as they say. Or maybe you're anxious, helpless. There are children who have nightmares. And there's even evidence that concern about the climate, well, it motivates some but it overwhelms others. It actually limits the ability to think, even function, as people become paralysed by fear and despair. There's a great need for hope in our world. Some have even suggested a a link to depression. Um, It seems that negative thoughts about three things in particular might contribute to depression. Negative thoughts about myself, I'm a terrible person. The world, it's a terrible place. And the future, there's no future. Now, you can see how the news might do that, can't you? Especially the world and the future, but what about ourselves? Well, look at this quote. It's a a quote from an environmental activist. We are not interested in the utility, usefulness, of a particular species or free-flowing river or ecosystem to mankind. They have intrinsic value. That's true, but see what he says. More value to me than another human body or a billion of them. This is published in the Los Angeles Times. Human happiness is not as important as a wild and healthy planet. I know social scientists who remind me that people are part of nature, but it isn't true. Somewhere along the line, we quit the contract and became a cancer. We have become a plague upon ourselves and upon the earth. Some of us can only hope for the right virus to come along. How's that for negative thoughts about yourself? Are you really a cancer? Is a virus really our only hope? Tonight, the Bible will show us that that quote actually gets some things right, but it misses so much more. You see, the Bible says a lot about the planet because it's about the real world. It's not about a fantasy land. And because the the God of the universe cares about the universe and is very involved in it. Now, a friend of mine named Lionel Windsor showed me this. He teaches at a Bible college in Sydney, and um, here's a book that he's written on this topic. It's very good. Beautiful. Uh, Now, before he was a Bible college lecturer, he was a solar energy engineer, um, but he's um, a very good lecturer at at Bible college. I had him in some of my classes. He pointed out something about two ways to live. We'll get that up. Two ways to live is a... Can we get that up? Yeah. Um, is a summary of what Christians believe. So, the good news, the gospel. And I wonder if you can spot what he noticed. The crown, that's God. Little person, that's, that's us. What's the circle? It's the world, it's the universe. Our planet is all the way through the gospel. And so, over the next two weeks, tonight and in a week's time, we'll see how the gospel speaks to the issues that are facing our planet. Let me run through that um, and give you the big picture of what we'll see. And, and if you're new, here you go, here's the basics of what we believe. Number one, God created our world. And so, He rules it and He loves it. He made us for a special place in that world to represent Him by loving and ruling the world, bringing good to it in a loving relationship with Him. But, secondly, our rebellion against God has ruined ourselves and the world. We didn't want God to tell us what to do, and so we rebelled. And as a result, each of us now does not what is good, but what we want. And the result is that instead of ruling the world in love, we ruin the world in selfishness. And all that's wrong with our lives and the planet comes from that. Number three, God's justice. People talk about climate justice. Have you heard of that? I don't think it's a very good phrase. But justice will be done by God. He takes our rebellion seriously, the way we treat His 
creatures and, and him. And the consequence of rejecting the source of life is death. We already see that on our, in our planet today, death and degradation. But on Judgment Day, he'll actually put an end to the rebellion. The punishment, the Bible says, is that we get what we asked for. We get cut off from God's loving rule and blessing forever. The Bible calls it hell. But God loves the world and so he sent Jesus to die for us, to pay the punishment instead of us that we should have paid. And so through his death on the cross, he makes it possible for the world to be fixed. Now we'll see that a bit more next week. We'll see how Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 talks about Jesus' death fixing all things because it deals with our sin. We'll see how that works next week. But number five, then Jesus rose from the dead to prove he is who he said he is, the ruler and the saviour. And so Jesus will do what we should have done. He will love and rule the world, bringing good to it and fix it up. And he'll return to renew all things, the saviour of the planet and above all, the saviour of the people that he made for a special place in it. Because he took our punishment, he can forgive us and he can take us into that new world, not into hell, to live forever with God in the restored creation, no longer rebels, but healed, to live forever in loving relationship with him. And that's very good news, which means point number six there, you've got a choice to make. There are actually two ways you can choose to live. You can keep going your way, continue as a rebel, or you can accept his way accept his offer of forgiveness and return to live with him as your ruler and your saviour. I wonder which way you are living. Your, your eternity depends on it. If you're someone who, who loves the planet and you, you want to enjoy it with the creator of it, perfectly forever, accept that offer. His forgiveness, turn to his way and, and that's something you can do right now in your heart tonight now there's the big picture there's the big thing we're going to see but what we're going to do for the rest of tonight and then next week is dig deeper into some key points of that to see how it gives us clarity you have to wait till next week for the the end of the story we'll see how God will fix it in Jesus and we'll see how that might change the way we make decisions and so if you miss next week make sure you catch the podcast you've got to hear both halves And tonight we're going to dig particularly into those first two boxes because they are critical if you want to understand how God wants us to treat the planet. We need to see our place in it. And so if you've got the question that we're going to look at tonight, here it is, what's our place in the planet? I think there's a slide, yeah. And how should we treat it? And the number one thing to know, to understand that, is this. God made it and he loves it. Above everything, that is why there is hope for the planet, because God made it and he loves it. So come in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. You might have it open from when we read it just before. And in verse number 1, you see that there are two types of things. There's God and there's everything else. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So there's the creator and there's the creation. I'm creation, your creation, the moon is creation, even angels are creation. And so the environment is not God. Some people treat it like it is. They worship it, they live for it. They say things like one river is worth more than a billion human lives. Some people even thank Mother Nature instead of thanking the one who gave us nature. That's a bit like unwrapping a present and then thanking the wrapping paper instead of the person who gave it to you. That's actually offensive. If you love nature, don't worship it, worship the one who made it. Now, that doesn't mean creation has no value. In fact, it's the opposite. Creation, the world, the planet, has value because God made it and loved it. So over again, over and over again in Genesis chapter 1, God calls it good, chapter 4, chapter 10, um, oh sorry, verse 4, verse 10, verse 12. God saw that it was good, good, good. He loves it. 
In fact, come to Psalm 104 and see just how much he loves it. While you're turning there, the first thing to see in it is that he continues to care for it. God didn't just make it and then, and then leave it. He continues his loving care. So look at Psalm 104, verse 10. He makes springs pour forth water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. All of that is from he. He does it, God. God doesn't just care about humans. He cares even for the wild donkeys. Verse 11. Even the birds, verse 12. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. God continues to care for all his creatures because he loves them. Now, the writer is not an idiot. He knows about natural processes, right? The stream flows, verse 10, and it waters the trees, verse 16, which feed the animals, verse 14, who then become prey for the lions, verse 21. So he's not an idiot, he's watched the Lion King. He knows, however, that behind all of those processes is God. Giving it all its existence, keeping it all going, verse 27, by his spirit, verse 30. And so even natural processes are ultimately from God's providing hands, continuing to care for his creation. We call that sovereignty, which highlights God's rule. But another old school word for that is providence. Chuck that up there. God, the provider, steering everything to bring about what's best for his world in the best possible way. And we might think, well, that's not how I would do it. Well, we're not as smart as he is. Now, one more thing to see in Psalm 104 is verse 31. May the Lord rejoice in his works. God enjoys his creation. You are not the only one that likes to watch dolphins and sunrises. God does too. And he loves to to share that enjoyment with us. So verse 14 and 15, he creates good food, not just boring food. Oil. That's good food, right? Wine, sourdough. Now that's all just bonus, isn't it? God didn't have to make food tasty. It would have still worked if he didn't. But it's just the kind of God that he is. And that means, you know, point of application, it's okay to enjoy the good things that God made. So if you look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that they're going to be false teachers who are hypocrites and they're going to teach wrongly that you shouldn't eat certain foods or get married. But Paul says, 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 4, that everything created by God is good and nothing is to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. It's good to enjoy God's good creation and thank Him for it. And it's offensive to take it and enjoy it and never think of the one who made it. It's possible to be like a a hero outwardly, all day, every day, saving the planet, but without any thought of the one who made it. I'm sorry to say that's, that's not good, that's offensive. Now, sometimes... Christians can think that the spiritual world, that's good, and the physical world, that's bad. It's like a a distraction from the spiritual task of worshipping God. But that's actually more like Plato than it is the Bible. Everything God created is good. Now, we do worship God who is spirit, but we worship Him with our souls and our bodies. Our lives in the physical world are the way that we worship him. And that's why it does matter to God what you do with your body and with the planet, because God made it and he loves it. And all of this is actually the reason why the environment is worth caring about. Think about it. If there isn't a God, why should we care? Now, I know there are many people who do care, 
without believing in God. I know it happens. I just don't think it adds up. Let me explain. If there's no God, then all that exists is protons and electrons and the other one, neutrons. And that means that if the Amazon rainforest grows or burns, they're both just chemical reactions. It's just atoms being arranged in a different way. Richard Dawkins, who's uh, world famous for arguing that there's no God, here's how he says it, you've, you've heard me use the quote before, in a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. The universe we observe has precisely the properties we would expect if there is at bottom no purpose, no evil and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. You see, without a God, you cannot call a rainforest good or its abuse bad. There's just no such thing. It's just atoms, pitiless indifference. But I don't think anyone really believes that. The world does have value. It's good to care, bad to abuse, because it's not just atoms. There is a good God who says what's good and bad, and that God says it's good. I love it, because I made it. And so, we need to ask, how does he want us to treat it? Now, you might think the answer is obvious, but I think there's some, some depths to explore here. And so, point number two, God loves us, and made us for a special role in his creation. So come back to Genesis chapter 1, and we'll see our role. Now the first thing to see in Genesis 1, actually, is that there are different roles. The message of this chapter is that God has made a world that has order to it. It's not about how long it took, it's about the, the order. Now, you might not understand what I mean by that, but you will in a minute. But this is why this chapter, Genesis 1, is so structured. It's, it's so structured, it's been called poetry. For example, in the first three days, you get separation. And then the next days, God fills all the things that he separated. Now, this is exactly how to tidy up a garage. First of all, you buy some shelves and some tubs. You separate. And then, you fill them with your stuff. And now you've created order out of chaos. And so that's what God does. Day one, he separates. He sets up the shelves, light and dark. Verse four. Day two, verse six, water and sky. Day three, verse 10, land and water. And then he fills them one by one, plants and stars, birds then fish and animals and humans. And notice that he gives them all, well, he gives some of the things, purposes. Verse 14, the sun and the moon there to give light and mark the passing of time. Verse 29, plants are for food. We'll come to humanity in a second. But do you see what I mean when I say God created a world that has an order? There are different things that are made for different reasons, purposes. And so we should use the things for the reasons that God created them, the, the purposes that God intended. Sex, marriage, animals. It's not up to us to decide what's good and bad to do with them God has woven it into the very way the world is. It's not just atoms. When those atoms form a plant, you can eat it, but not when they form a child. Do you see, different things have different purposes, and so we should use the things for the purposes that God intended. And so what about us? What sort of thing are we? What's our, what's our purpose? Well, we are the most special part of creation. Did you notice that the poem moves upwards through more and more special things? So you get plants, then stars, and sun and moon, and then animals. Now that would have, by the way, shocked the ancient world, because they worshipped the stars and the planets. But God says, no, an animal is more special because it has life. But most special of all, the climax is humans. Because God makes us and only us in his image. Verse 27. So God created mankind 
in his own image. Now, what does that mean? People try to think about it. Does it mean, um, you know, we're the image of God because we've got special abilities? It's, it's very hard to deny our intelligence, language, creativity, relational skills. Or is it our spirituality? You know, we're the only animals that have a spiritual and moral nature. Well, I think the, the best answer is, is this, that he's, it means that God has made us to be his representatives. In the ancient world, a king was called the image of God, like, like an avatar of God, walking around on earth, representing the rule of the God. But Genesis says it's not just the king, it's every man and every woman. God has honoured us with the most special role there is to be his representative on the earth. And so all of those unique gifts and abilities are gifts from him to make us suitable to do that. And that creates a very special relationship between us and God and and also between us and creation. And so there is the sort of thing that you are. God loves all of creation. It's all got value. But you, we, are the most special of all because we are made in his image for the special role of being his representatives. Now, this has been misused and misunderstood. It does not give us a right to abuse the world. How could it? How would that represent the God who made it and loves it? Now, I'll come back to this. But we've got to first of all see um, and make sure that we see humans the way God does. If you love creation, then love the most special bit of it the most. Imagine your neighbour's house is on fire. You've heard this before. Your neighbour's house is on fire and they've got a, a baby and a puppy. Who do you save? Both of them. Don't be a monster. <laughs> Sorry, you're not a monster. But if you can only save one, the baby. Choose the baby because the human life is more valuable. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6. It was read out for us. Look at the birds of the air. You see God's care even for the birds again. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. But then he says, are you not more valuable than they? Now, the reason I'm pointing this out is because there is, as we saw, a bit of an anti-human streak in some of the environmentalism today. You saw it in that quote before, it'll come up again, that that says, humans are cancer. Do we have it? Yeah. Do you know that at least three of the mass shootings in the last couple of years, the manifesto that's been left has said they're doing it for the planet, among other twisted reasons, because they want to reduce the human population. Now, those people are very sick. But isn't that where this argument leads? If a river is more valuable than a billion human lives, then why not kill a billion human lives to save the river? We need the Bible to to remind us, no, you're not a cancer. Yes, there's something wrong with us and we'll we'll come to that. But even so, you have value. God loves you and he made you in his image. I wonder if you can see what's happened here. This worldview actually gets two things right. It gets it right that nature is valuable and it gets it right that humans do bad things to it. But because it doesn't see the rest of the picture, it just drives those two truths so hard that it tramples over all these other good things. And that's the problem with with all the different isms that are out there. This is one form of environmentalism, but you can name other sorts of isms. Almost always what they do is they take something that is true, but they rip it out of the context of all the other things that God's Word teaches, or the good teachings that God wants us to know. And so it ends up saying things that aren't true. And so instead of bouncing around all the different philosophies and the isms that are out there, we need to be Bible people. Everything that's good in all those other isms is already here. 
and it's here without the distortions, as long as you work hard at knowing what God says. And so let me just fix a couple of quick distortions here. Should you care more about the environment or poverty and slavery? Well, care about both, but especially the people in poverty and slavery. What about children? Should you have children? Some today, Prince Harry says, not many, for the sake of the planet. Some people say none for the sake of the planet, the voluntary human extinction movement. Now, they actually said that in the 70s as well. They said, we'll run out of food. Now, they were wrong. We've got a slide here, but twice as many people are alive today, but half as many people live in poverty. We've gotten better at farming, among other things. In fact, we're even using less land to do it. Just, I don't know if you just see that, but in the last 20 years, we're using less of the world's surface to farm because we're getting more efficient at it. Land is being returned to conservation. In fact, um, we'll get rid of that, but some are forecasting a different problem later this century, population collapse, no one left to care for the, the older people. Who knows? But what we do know is that the Bible says children are a blessing. It's what marriage is for. Genesis 1.28, God says, be fruitful, increase in number. And so, if you love the Creator, make sure you love the most special part of His creation. But, some people think that what I've just been saying is the problem. The environment has been trashed because of the Bible, because it says we're the most important. And it says that nature's only purpose is for us. Now, a couple of problems with that argument. Number one, humans act this way even without the Bible. The moa bird lived in New Zealand for 4,000 years until the Maoris arrived, and within 150 years, it was extinct. And they'd never heard of the Bible at that point. I'm not having a go at Maoris. My point is, in fact, the exact opposite. That's what we're all like everywhere. Not because of the Bible, because of us. But the second problem is, it's not even what the Bible teaches. Now, some people probably have lived that way, and they might have even thought they were getting it from the Bible, but the problem was not the Bible. It was that they weren't listening to it well enough. Because look what Genesis says, chapter 1, verse 28. God says, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature. Now, that's, that could sound like, do whatever you want with it, but it's not if you keep reading. So chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden, 2.15, to work it and take care of it. Not to abuse it, to take care of it. Because that's what it means to be a good ruler, the kind of ruler God is. If we're to be his representatives, then we're to rule not like selfish tyrants, but like God does, with love and enjoyment and care. And so there's a word for this, it's stewardship. It's when you're entrusted with something that's not yours, like when you borrow someone else's car. Now, John, I will probably tell you, I don't treat my car particularly well. But when I borrow my sister's car to go camping, because she's got a tow ball, I didn't, but now I do, but when I would borrow a car, I looked after it more carefully than I looked after even my own car. I drove carefully. I even would wash it and vacuum it before I gave it back. Now, I assume she wanted me to enjoy it. That's probably why she lent it to me. But she did want me to look after it. That's what it means to be a steward. We're to rule God's world as stewards. Now, that doesn't mean we just leave it alone. It means we care for it. I don't know if you're aware of this. There's kind of two views of nature out there. For most of human history, we thought that nature was wild and dangerous, full of potential, but it needed to be tamed. More recently, we've thought of nature as perfect, pristine, wonderful. Now, which of those views is the Bible's? Who thinks this one? Nobody. Who thinks this one? Come on. <laughs> Nature is wild, full of potential, needing to be tamed. Anyone? Nature is pristine, perfect and wonderful, just the way it is. 
What are the rest of you doing? You don't want to be wrong or what? It's good to be wrong. You learn. Or, or do you, what, someone tell me, what are you thinking? Neither? No, that's the worst of all answers. <laughs> but good on you for trying. <laughs> Both. Both. Now, lots of nods. You all thought that, right? Okay, you're all very clever. Um, you see, nature has an intrinsic beauty. Which one was this? this one. Yeah, we saw it in Psalm 104. Even the wild donkeys God enjoys. And nature has a raw potential that can be developed to another kind of beauty. So a coffee bean in the wild might be nice to look at, but it tastes pretty funky. But you should see what we can do with it. It's pretty good. That's what the word subdue in Genesis 1.28 means. Do you see that word there? One of the things God wants us to do as we rule the world is actively take the raw potential and create. Bring order from chaos like God does. Evoke a beach with five metre swell from an east coast low. There's just this intrinsic beauty and power to the, to the magnificent waves, right? But there's a different kind of goodness in the kiddie pool that we've built where my three-year-old can still splash safely. And so our role is to do our best to see the things in God's creation, reach all the purposes that he has for them. So we remember we saw um, the order, different kinds of things at different purposes. And so let's just um, give you an example of that. Um, what are trees for? Well, we've already seen that um, they're for food, Genesis um, 1, and in Genesis 2, 9, it says they're also beautiful. We saw in Psalm 104 that they're for birds, not just for humans. They're for building things like houses. Jesus uses it for warmth and to cook a fish and psalm 148 they're for god's glory so there are lots of purposes for trees some of them are for humans others aren't humans should do our best to see trees fulfill as many of those purposes as well as possible as we can and so what does that mean well if it's a ripe mango enjoy it You've brought that mango to its purpose. And if you need a shelter, cut down some trees, use them to build a house, that's good. That's okay. It's not like if you ever touched nature, you've done the wrong thing. No, it's good. But leave enough for the birds and for there to be beautiful forests. What a, what a beautiful and balanced picture. Now, of course, sometimes the Bible doesn't say what the purpose is. Like, uh, like opiates, heroin, morphine. Now you've got to think about it. It seems like they're pretty bad to be addicted to, but very good at managing pain when you're in hospital. What about animals? Well, we're not going to do the whole picture, but is it okay to eat them? Genesis chapter 9, verse 3, God says yes. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, so now I give you everything. And so, when Jesus comes, the perfect human, he eats meat. Now, if you want to be a vegetarian for whatever reason, there's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to eat meat, that's okay. It's okay for you, just like it's okay for dolphins and lions. But the Bible says it's not okay to be cruel. So, Proverbs chapter 12, verse 10 says, "...the righteous care for the needs of their animals." The righteous care for the needs of their animals because animals have a certain kind of life. And so when we eat meat, use animal products, we ought to care how that, was, that animal was treated. And so, for example, we, we know about the distress of chickens in um, battery cage farms. And so I only buy free-range eggs. If you are a Christian, God wants you to care for his creation. So, lots of examples, you don't need me to go through them all. One might be reducing your waste, caring where the materials come from, especially maybe if you use a lot of them for work, and not just their environmental impacts, their impacts on people, because they're part of creation too. You see, it's also not just trying not to touch creation. It's trying to find the best things you can do with it. So, farming, 
building, engineering, art, science, nursing, even garbage collecting is a way to care for creation. Helping it to fulfil its purposes, um, especially helping to, to love people and glorify God. And so um, when we sing in a few minutes, we are going to make the air vibrate to the glory of God. Don't you think that's one of the purposes for which God created sound? This is using creation to its potential. But all of this raises a problem, doesn't it? Because the Bible's picture is that humans are good for the world and yet everything that we see in the world seems so different. What happened? Well, there's the final point tonight. Our rebellion against God has ruined ourselves and the world. I'm going to let the comedian Bill Maher make this point. How crazy is that? I've found, as I've tried to explain the Bible to people for years, that is the hardest thing to convince people. Everyone likes to think of themselves as a good person, but he's right, that's what the Bible says. The verdict is in, humans are not good people. And so the next chapter of Genesis, chapter 3, explains why. It wasn't enough for us to be in God's image, we wanted to be God ourselves. We wanted to to be like God, that was the temptation, chapter 3, verse 5. And so we rebelled against him and broke his commands, uh, an event that is called the fall. And the shockwaves of that event spread out from it and affected everything, like an ecosystem thrown out of whack by an invasive species, like a crack in a windscreen shattering the whole lot. And so first of all, our relationship with God is broken. And so chapter 3, verse 8, they hide from God because now they're rebels. They fear his punishment And they also fear his rule. I can only pretend to be God if I keep the true God away. And so the Bible says that that has caused then a deep change in us as humans. A change in our nature. That means we are now hostile toward God. A sinful nature, the Bible calls it. And each of us has inherited this sinful nature. That's why we do bad things. People think uh, you're a sinner if you do bad things. No, you're a sinner That's why you do bad things. We're like the shopping trolley with a broken wheel. We just cannot go the right way. Now, this explains something that I don't think anyone else can. It explains why humans and only humans are the bad animals. Have you noticed this? That quote from um, David Graeber. He's saying every bit of nature, every single bit is good. Perfect, valuable. Except humans, they're terrible. Now, if nature is so good and we're just another animal, why are we so special? Why are we so terrible? People um, have a go at the Bible for saying humans are special, but they say it too. No one gets angry at killer whales. I've seen Free Willy, they're beautiful, even though they tear baby seals to death with their teeth. But they're not the problem. Why are humans so special? Why do we get held to a higher standard and why do we make such a mess? I put it to you, there's no other worldview that can explain this except the Bible. If we're just another animal, it makes no sense. But we're not. We are special. We ought to be held to a higher standard and we've gone very wrong. We have become evil. Because of the fall, because of our rebellion against God, we now have a sinful nature and so our relationships are 
broken with God, verse 8, with each other, verse 16, and with the planet, verse 17. So look at chapter 3, verse 17, key verse. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you'll eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. We now live in a broken world, a fallen world, a world where work now sometimes produces nothing but weeds, where food can be hard to get, a world that's still good and yet many of its good things fail to reach their purposes. Our relationship with creation has become a war where we hurt it, it hurts us. And that's clear, isn't it, as you look at the the problems in our environment. But if we are the problem, how can we be the solution? This is where actually I don't think that the the environmental movement is actually um, panicked enough. I don't see the problem as, as big as it really is. Let me get a bit depressing. We need to face facts. The problem is not awareness. We know what we're doing. The problem is we're sinners and we can't stop being sinners. And am I saying that we should just give up? No. God does want us to care for the planet and when we do that, we actually do it reasonably well. In fact, lots of the environmental problems are getting better. There are less humans killed every, uh, by natural disasters every decade since the 1920s. Carbon emissions are dropping, there's less lead in the air. Because we've invented plastic, we no longer kill elephants for piano keys and turtles turtles for um, combs. That's not a joke, that's, that's really what happened. Um, now, I'm not, so I'm not saying do nothing, your actions really make a difference. Fighting corruption and greed makes a difference. But no matter what policies we create, there will always be corruption in governments and greed in companies and selfishness in individuals because all those things are made of people and people are sinful. Do you know, we've, for years, we've carefully sorted our recycling into the yellow bin only to discover that it wasn't being recycled. Did you hear about this? It's being shipped to China and buried in landfill because it's cheaper. The company didn't want you to find out about it. That's sin. Now, I don't know if that's still happening. I hope it's not. I still put my yellow bin out every two weeks. But who knows? Were you one of the people that um, sorted, that got your soft plastics and took them back to Coles and Woolies to be recycled? I'm sorry to say, that company was doing it too. They've just gone bankrupt and, it, and we're now finding all these warehouses full of plastic bags. And who knows what will happen to it? Maybe it'll be incinerated. All of that waste, sin. Last year, I put solar panels on my house. This year, or this week, I found out that Almost all the solar panels are made with slave labour. Almost half the world's supply of polysilicate comes from the Xinjiang province, where the greatest incarceration of people based on their religion since the Holocaust is now happening. The Uyghur Muslims, um, torture, forced labour, family separations, even reports of forced sterilisations of the women. And we've known about it for two years. The US government has banned imports from that region, but our government hasn't, and we are using taxpayers' money to put them on roofs like mine. Oh, sin, it's, it's everywhere. What about celebrities? Surely not them. Not them too, right? You know, in 2019, Google got a bunch of them together to talk about what we can do to solve climate change. Leonardo, both Harrys, Harry Styles and the Prince, Kate Perry, everyone was there. Uh, Prince Harry gave a speech, he was barefoot of course, and then he posted on Instagram, um, with nearly 7.7 billion people inhabiting this earth, every choice, every footprint, every action makes a difference. Which would make you wonder why they chose to fly to Sicily and use a five-star resort with three golf courses, four pools, and they went by private jet. A hundred private jets landed that weekend. You cannot find a more polluting way to travel. It's four times more polluting than a commercial plane. London, where Harry was, to Italy and back, makes the same carbon emissions as you do in a whole year. But it turns out that wasn't the only trip. Harry did that fortnight. He also flew by private jet 
to have a holiday in Ibiza, Spain and Nice on the French Riviera. Must be nice, eh? Now, you've got to have holidays. But do you have to have four private jets in 11 days? Six times your annual carbon emissions in two weeks. How's that for hypocrisy? You know, in that same month, he also said him and Megan are only having two kids for the planet. I told my wife that. She said, yeah, sure, it's for the planet. But it's not just him. I'm sorry to say it's even Taylor Swift and uh, Oprah and Steven Spielberg, Mark Zuckerberg, Jay-Z and Beyonce and, and everybody else. If you see a celebrity speaking about the climate, they probably got there by private jet, except for Greta. She's fine. She got there by boat. Which shows you it can be done, right? You can be famous and not have a private jet. Now, I'm not saying I'm any better, right? The whole point, Bill Maher's point, the Bible's point, is that we are all like this. We are not good people. Our rebellion against God has wrecked the world. And so the problem is far bigger than we realize. Because it's not just a problem with the environment. It's a problem with us. And until we can solve that, we will continue to make mess after mess, a game of whack-a-mole that never ends. We won't fix the problem by changing the system. Some people think the system is the problem, and it is, because it's made of people. But you'll have problems no matter what the system is, because every system will be made of people. That's why you have environmental harm from capitalism and environmental harm from communism, as well as whatever otherism you can think of. And we won't even fix it by getting rid of people. Think about Australia. What do you think is the number one cause of extinctions in Australia? It's, it's introduced species, like feral pigs, wild rabbits, weeds. Cats and foxes alone have caused 22 mammals to become extinct. That's why, as a, as a country, we spend billions of dollars every year controlling invasive species. What do you think would happen if we just left? Would it magically heal and get better? No, the cats and the foxes and the weeds would win. Just because we cause the problem doesn't mean that getting rid of us will solve the problem. And so what is the solution? If we can't fix it because we're the problem, and if getting rid of us won't work either, then is there any hope for the planet? Yes, because of the first thing we saw tonight. God the Creator loves His creation. We need someone much bigger than us to solve this problem, and it's exactly what God will do through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what we'll see next week. But for now, keep trusting Him for your future, for the future of the planet. Use creation to serve Him. But because God, the Creator, loves His creation, He won't give up on it. Even if some environmental catastrophe happens, He will be at work in it, achieving His purposes. And so do you know what the most important thing to do? If you really want to help people, help them for eternity. That really is the best way that you can love and care for creation to tell the most special part of it people about the saviour God sent for them, Jesus. Let me pray. Father, we, we are sorry for our sin. Please help us to live the way you want us to, but thank you that it doesn't depend on us, that you sent a saviour. We pray that many will know him, they might join us in that new creation. In Jesus' name, amen.